0: It's just 48 hours in counting. The vote to whether to decide to leave the European Union is a very important topic in the UK right now but also in many other countries around the globe. If the UK decides to leave, it will change relationships with other countries. It will change monetary policy. It will change trade in several other areas as well. It will also have an effect on the US economy. To take a look at all that might happen, we are joined here in the studio by Wharton Finance Professor Joam Gomes. And also joining us on the phone is Sebastian Malaby, who is a senior fellow for International Economics at the Council on Foreign Relations. Joam, great to see you again. Thanks very much for coming in. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Doing very well. Sebastian, great to have you as well. Great. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, let's let's get to the to the big question first, uh, Joam. Uh, yes or no? Do you think that uh, the UK is going to say that they're going to leave the the EU? Uh,
1: <laughs> I no, I don't think they will vote to leave. Um, we we'll shall see, but I don't think they'll vote to leave. The latest opinion polls, as you said, strongly suggest that the momentum to, to leave has is, is stopped and, and remain is, is now well ahead. Um, I think when push comes to shove, I think people will find it very hard to vote for something and are not quite sure what it what it actually is. And, 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 if, and that makes it very difficult to believe they'll vote yes uh, to leave. But... Um, you know, it, it's an uncertainty for the next 48 hours. We shall see. Um, we've had plenty of referendums in Europe where at the end of the day, people pulled the trigger and decided, you know, we're just going to shake the boat. And, and, um, and uh, you know, the Ireland referendum was a really good example of that a few years back. So I, I, I'm i not going to count uh, victory uh, ahead of time. But but I'm fairly confident uh, the Leave vote will be uh, defeated Seb-
0: Thursday. Sebastian? Sebastian?
2: Well, I, I think that we're talking about a, a 30% risk of Britain voting to leave. Um, so I do think that the greater likelihood is that Britain will remain. Uh, that's mostly because when people are polled you know, two or three weeks before a vote, um, they tend to tell the survey questioners, you know, I might vote because of immigration or health or education or something. But when you go back to those same people the day after they voted, They tend to say they've voted on the issue of the economy. And if they do that, in this case, the economy is clearly going to be stronger and um, more prosperous if Britain votes to remain.
0: What what do you expect to really to, to happen here in the next 48 hours, though, because this has been such a, a, a charged item for several weeks now, uh, Sebastian, a, and seemingly, like a political election, I would think that there is going to be an unbelievable push in the last 48 hours to sway the voters one way or another.
2: Yes, the one thing, though, is that there has been this uh, tragic murder uh, of a Labour member of Parliament, no. Joe Cox, Um, uh, And that uh, caused the campaign to be suspended for a couple of days right as we were heading into the last final week of campaigning. And it did force everybody on both sides to just cool it a bit because there was a sense that although you can't link any specific campaign to, you know, an act of murder by one person, um, the atmosphere in Britain had gotten so politically toxic. Uh, that people just sort of took a step back so whoa, you know if this was leading to uh, we 're horrified and I, so so that has slightly cooled things down, I think, and as you say, the last forty eight hours people won 't be able to resist going out there and campaigning hard <laughs> but there 's a sense that you know overplaying people's for example people 's fear of migration is something which the exit side who want to leave the eu may dial back on
0: for the for the people that are on the on leaving the uh the EU right now is the migration issue maybe the biggest issue right now or, or there are other ones as well
2: Absolutely i mean polls uh, a week ago um, were showing that on the economy the remain side had a bit of an advantage like 5 points or so in the polls the leave side on migration had an advantage of more like 35 points so there was just a massive sense in britain that Being completely open to migration from the European Union has caused a sort of massive influx of people, and it's just very unpopular amongst Britons. Now, you know, in policy terms, it doesn't make sense. Um, Migrants are a net positive for the economy. It creates a multicultural society, which I myself view as attractive. Um, But the fact is that politically it's, it's unpopular.
0: We're talking with uh, Sebastian Malaby of the uh, Council on Foreign Relations uh, on the phone, and then joining us uh, here in the studio is Juan Gomes, who is with the uh, Wharton School. Uh, The the finance aspects of this and and the economic aspects of this, Juan, uh, let's let's play devil's advocate here for a second. Mm -hmm. If the vote does go yes, the impact on the economy in the U.K., the economy in Europe, and even the economy here in the U.S., that plays out over a period of time, but but if you kind of put it all under one kind of hat, what are the ma- what are the major effects that that people will be seeing in the months to come? That's a really difficult
1: question, and I in I, there's been a number of studies trying to suggest the costs are large. Um, you know, I I've looked at some of them. To be honest, I just dismiss them. I think the factors, and, and you listed some of them in your introduction, are so many that any model is just not going to capture. Um, any sort of um, accurately, any any sort of estimate of what's going to happen in the, in the next um, two, five, seven years even. Um, so I think the main factor is uncertainty is exactly that. We just don't know what's going to happen. And that's going to create a lot of uncertainty. But um, I would say two things, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, as you said, nobody knows what Brexit is going to do. And nobody knows what Brexit actually is. Uh, people will vote to leave Don't really vote for anything in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is we'll trigger our actor um, one particular article in the Treaty of Lisbon that says we're going to start thinking about renegotiating our relationship with the EU. That's what the UK is going to do, very likely. We'll have a new government in the UK. We'll have to play again this game of what exactly is, what exactly are we going to be our trade relationship, our our, um, mobility of, of people, and so on. Uh, there's a variety of things that are up for discussion, and nobody really knows what that actually entails. So to talk about any sort of consequences of this vote, we just don't know. Uh, I think what we do know is markets will be scared for, for the next few <laughs> weeks, months. We probably expect an interest rate cut in Europe, small things like that. We will expect a sharp depreciation in the value of the, of the British pound. We'll expect some short-term capital outflows out of the UK, whether they'll continue or not, who knows. Um so, in the short term, you can actually construct a scenario. I, I thought about this every time I read one of these pessimistic studies. You can actually construct a scenario where this is actually good for the economy of the UK. Uh, a sharp depreciation of the currency could boost their competitiveness dramatically and could actually do wonders for their economic growth. And it could be exactly what a new government of the UK will actually go for because, you know, who knows who's going to be prime minister. We might have some speculation, but certainly it's very unlikely. Cameron will continue to have this government. It's very unclear that Osborne will continue as chancellor. Um if I play devil's advocate, I could see a scenario under which the UK will actually do well. Um, ye- I would also say this. This is not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. Um, if they vote yes, it's absolutely not the end of the world. Um, but if they vote no, is also not the end of the game. We have a Spanish election coming up next um, weekend. We have a, an Italy referendum in the fall that probably will end up with a... Well, probably is too strong of a word, but it could end up with a new government in Italy. This is nothing... Uh, unusual in Europe in the last few years. We have treaties, we have referendums, we have votes. And every time we just go from one crisis to the other, none of this is going to address the substantive problems of Europe, whatever the vote turns out to be. Um,
0: You bring up an interesting point as well as the fact that whatever does happen, let's just say it does happen and the vote is to Mm -hmm. leave, that this is a process that won't be an overnight process. This will be a several year process for it to play out.
1: Absolutely. And it's completely open. Uh, I think there'll be some resentment up front that uh, the Europeans will take this very hard, that the European Union in particular takes it very hard. But I think when you sit down and think about it, it makes no sense not to essentially continue more or less with the status quo. I think when it comes out for a negotiation, what we are going to do is what we always do in Europe, which is it's a permanent negotiation. Every time there's something else to negotiate, every time there's a new treaty to, to redo, and this is just going to be one of them. And I think any... When the British people sit down, and certainly when the new British government sits down and thinks about what's the new relationship, it makes absolute sense to continue to permit trade to, to be more or less run through the European uh, Union. It makes sense to, to have capital continue to flow to and from the UK relatively easily. And it makes no sense to renegotiate any relationship that doesn't promote growth in the years ahead. Um, so I, I don't actually see, it's been the case in Europe that this referendum will do that much damage one way or another. Other than the short-run uncertainty and unpleasantness, um, the vote is sort of—it's um, more of a signal of an intolerant Europe. Of uh, we don't want to have, um, um, you know, we sort of have a stand in which we're just not that open right. to migration and to to the influx of people that uh, that uh, came with the promise of an open border. Sebastian,
2: so I'd say a few things about that. I mean, one is that. We do know one thing for sure. I agree that lots of stuff we don't know. But one thing we do know is precisely that there's a heck of a lot of things we don't know. And that (laughs) uncertainty, I mean, you know, um, it's true. The the uncertainty, I think, is really not to be underplayed. And I don't think it's a matter of a few weeks or even a few months. I think we've got some years uh, of uncertainty because if you just game it through, and I've been, you know, very closely involved in, in watching this for six months, the the, the, the sequence of events includes, first of all, the likely fall of the um, conservative prime minister, David Cameron. Then because of the way the conservative party chooses its new leader, it might take three months uh, to get a new leader. That new leader will either be pro-leaving, um, uh, in which case he would be in keeping with the mandate from the referendum, but not in keeping with the majority in the parliament. So that's a weak position if you don't have a majority in the parliament. Three quarters of the members of Parliament or two thirds support remain. Um, on the other hand, if it's the other way, the Prime Minister might be in keeping with the Parliament but not in keeping with the country. So, either way, you've got a weak government. You've got a possibility of Scotland demanding an independence referendum. You've got a need to rewrite domestic law in Britain because much of it derives from the EU. Uh, that rewriting needs the approval of the devolved Parliaments in Scotland and Wales and Ireland. You've got to then negotiate externally. With uh, your 27 EU partners. And I think this idea that, you know, well, the EU is always used to muddling through, we go from one crisis to another, one vote to another, is true, but this is a fundamentally different case where muddling through when you've just agreed to abrogate your treaty of being part of the single market, part of the EU structures, you, you know, the option of sort of not really agreeing very much and muddling along isn't there because you've already said that you're leaving the status quo. So you've got to construct. The act of constructing a new status quo is something that takes an affirmative agreement. And an affirmative agreement among 28 countries in the EU, or 27 who are remaining and one who's leaving, is extremely difficult. The only precedent we have for this is Greenland, which left in uh, 1985. It had a population at that time of a grand total of 53,000 people, so that of a small British town. And it cared about only one issue, and that was fish. And that negotiation for Greenland to leave took three years. I believe that Britain would take, you know, four or five years. And the head of the European Council said it might take seven years. So this is a very extended period of uncertainty during which uh, business investment uh, would be chilled. Uh, And Britain is highly dependent on foreign direct investment because it has the biggest current account deficit. All the major economies. It depends on capital inflows. So I see. I, I'm I'm more in the camp. I don't think that a Brexit vote, as I said before, is more than a 30% chance. But I do think that if that did happen, one can be much firmer and more pessimistic about the likely consequences um, than maybe Klaus thinks.
0: You, met, you did an opinion piece in the Washington Post last week uh, that, that looked at the Brexit and, and what that leave vote would mean. And I, one of the things I saw in it, it, it does really put the UK itself in, in limbo in, in a variety of different places, correct?
2: Absolutely. It's constitutional limbo in the sense that whether Scotland wants to stay in a Britain that is leaving the EU is, is not certain. I mean, Scotland is very pro-European. And if the Scottish feel they're being dragged out of Europe by English voters who they don't much like anyway, they may ask for a second referendum. They had one in 2014, which was hard-fought. And in the end, in 2014, the Scots voted to remain in the United Kingdom. Why? Because the economic argument was it would cost them to leave. Now, in a leave-EU scenario where Brexit is won and the U.K. economy, I think, would be in severe difficulty, it's not clear the Scots would feel... That they were better off uh, staying in so that 's one thing. Ireland has a peace process yeah. which you know achieved some stability in Ireland in the late '90s based on a very porous border with the South that underpins the ability to move across that border for work for finding business clients, and so forth. If you re harden that border because Southern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, is inside the EU and Northern Ireland is out, that completely undermines the uh, economic um, basis for Northern Ireland and therefore perhaps also uh, the political uh, piece um, there's, uh, uh, and you could go on I mean the, as I said you have to rewrite all domestic not all but a, a big chunk of domestic law in Britain derives from EU law and you'd have to hire you know lots of lawyers to rewrite all that stuff and it's not a straightforward process
1: I, I completely agree I think the political uh, scenarios are, are really troublesome I would say one thing though Um The economics of it, a sharp depreciation of the British pound could induce an enormous amount of economic growth in the next two or three years. Uh, That trumps a lot of things. If the economic argument becomes clear, if it becomes clear that the UK economy does better outside the EU than inside, a lot of these issues go away very quickly. And as much as we can talk about some trade costs and so on, a sharp depreciation of the currency solves a lot of problems. Um, and it makes it much easier to tell the Scots, look, we made the right decision. Um, It makes a lot easier for other countries to say, why are we in the EU? And and I think people are forgetting that as much as we talk about migration, as much as it's a great vote-getter, the fundamental problem is the UK sees, sees itself tied to a part of the world that is not growing, where people are not yeah. working, getting old, productivity is low, and we have these bureaucrats, as they perceive them in Brussels, just making life more difficult. And they want to decouple themselves from that scenario, from that world. They want to say, we, we want to be tied to other parts, to Asia in particular, very much like the US would like to, because our future should just not be Europe. And and that argument, one could say, outside the EU or, or in a world in which the UK is less constrained by, by EU, EU regulation could be much more positive, And that makes it much easier to sell everything politically. Um, what, what? I'm not saying that's, you know, I, I think it's very important to say uncertainty yeah. is enormous and we should be cautious with it. But uncertainty also allows for the fact that some of the scenarios could be very positive. Um, it could all turn out really well for the UK, not so much for the EU, but really well for the UK.
0: Yeah, Sebastian, what about the, the, the pressure that I'm sure is being put on in, in the UK right now by the business community? Uh, many companies that may have their headquarters in London, yeah. uh, they're probably sitting back and saying, listen, if, if this vote goes the wrong way, we may be very well uh, you know, taking our headquarters, moving them and, and, and going to Paris or going to Madrid or you know, some other location right now.
2: Absolutely. I mean, um, London as a sort of megacity has thrived by being the headquarters from which you run your corporate operations throughout the European Union. It's the biggest market in the world, 500 million people, and 60% of non European companies that have an EU headquarters have chosen to locate that in London. So, um, you know, if the premise for that location goes away because Britain leaves the EU, then, um some chunk of that uh, um, kind of corporate uh, leadership will have to shift um, and I think particularly in finance it 's very troubling because um you know Britain has a service based economy seventy eight percent of GDP comes from services amongst those, the biggest chunk is financial services um, If you lose membership of the European union single market, you lose precisely uh, the ability to sell financial services across right. borders, and this is one of the ironies in the whole debate because world trade organisation rules that britain could fall back on as a wto member um are very good at liberalising um merchandise trade goods um but not so great at liberalising services and so the ability to sell insurance or fund management products or investment banking advice or in fact you know legal advice um you know will will be highly uncertain if britain leaves uh, the eu and i think that could have a very big effect
0: This just feels like right now, and and Sebastian, to get your opinion on it first, is this just feels like it's, you know, from over here in the United States, Just it feels like a contract negotiation that's going on right now. And just like every contract negotiation we we see, when there's a battle between two sides, they're going to take this right down to the wire.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I, I mean... If you talk about a normal contract negotiation, you're talking about uh, two people or maybe two groups in a room who are sort of able to change direction. They can bluff, and then they can say, oh, I didn't really mean it, uh, you know, and and settle at the last minute. With a referendum, it's different. You've got millions of people voting. um, And once they vote to leave, uh, it's quite hard to unvote. And there are some scenarios where you could imagine... A second referendum. I mean, the Greeks did this, uh, where they voted against the, um, you know, European the the uh, Europe, the, the eurozone uh, austerity package, and mm-hmm. they kind of had another vote. But but it, I think in Britain, I would I would weight that like a five percent chance that you would have a second referendum. So if we vote to leave, we're probably going to leave, um, and and that's why it's not like a contract negotiation. Okay. It's more, you know, it's a game of chicken where you really do go off the cliff. <laughs>
1: Drum. It's a good analogy. Um, except that we don't know what leave actually means, as I said before. Um, so who knows what leave means? Um, I, I do worry about the, the financial services um, and their importance for the, the UK economy. I think that's a really important point. And, and I, I feel like I'm always arguing um, the wrong side here. But um, but I would say any UK government, even if it's a pro-leave government, will have all the interest in the world to make sure the UK economy remains uh, strong. and, and you, I, I mean, yes.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point. And I, and I sort of, again, I think that in a, in a world of the pure contract negotiation, that's right. But the, the sticky thing here is that when you do an opinion poll of attitudes towards the European Union across the uh, EU, you find that the country that hates the EU the most is Greece because of austerity. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the second most intense anti-EU feelings are actually not in Britain, they're in France. And the French, um, you know, have gone through a tough economic time, and the the support for the right-wing populist Marine Le Pen is rising and rising. She's expected to make it into the final round of the presidential vote next year. And so the French political establishment almost needs, I think, to show French voters that leaving the EU, being anti-EU, is not an easy option. And I think that's true for the political establishment generally across Europe. There is pressure... On Renzi in Italy, there is pressure from the IFD in Germany against the establishment mainline pro EU parties. So I think there's, there's there's a kind of political game theory that would tell you mm-hmm. that if you are a a sort of a, a mainstream European politician, you want to punish Britain, not because it's yeah. in your economic interest, but because it's in your political survival strategy.
1: I think that's a very good point. But that works both ways. And and that's why this game is really complicated because I think Brexit doesn't solve anything. Even if the vote turns out to be to remain, I think that same pressure is there for for um, Marine Le Pen to press next year and say, I want a special deal for France too. There's a really good argument for the polls to come back and say, well, we don't want to accept this deal with the UK. We want something that safeguards our interests. I don't think this is the end of the game. I, I think this is the the crisis of the moment and we'll deal with that. And hopefully the vote will turn out to be a, a vote to, to remain. But this is by no means solves any problem in Europe at all. We're going to go to the next round, which the French elections will, will bring us next year. But but just immediately on this weekend, we have a very tough Spanish election and lots of complicated things for the summer if uh, Podemos wins or, or forms a government. Um, this is just not going to be that big of a deal, I think, into the
0: summer. Uh, but what are the well, let me ask you this then. What are the possibilities of this type of a Brexit happening someplace else because of all of the political uh, potential, the upheaval that we could be seeing here in the in the weeks and months to come. I think the nationalistic pressure that it triggered already triggered
1: is is undeniable and it's going to be there regardless of the outcome here. I think the only way this is the end of the game is, is if uh, Sebastian is correct and and there's some uh, this is almost perverse, but but if the Europeans do ensure that Brexit is a failure and there's no pressure to imitate Brexit by anybody else, yeah, no. uh, that's the only scenario. Um, Against that, is obviously any new UK government will try the best to, to make sure that's not the case. But uh, but I, I think mean, the nationalistic pressures is already open for, for other countries to sort of join and say, we know I want a special deal too, uh, is, is going to be undeniable going into next year.
2: That's right. I mean, so the point here is that before the Brexit referendum began, David Cameron negotiated a deal with the rest of Europe, which gave, you know, which increased the UK's already substantial. Uh, mm-hmm. loopholes in the EU rules and other countries that you know don't like something about the eu I think exactly that 's exactly right. They will have bigger incentive to go ask for a special deal and Europe as a whole it's a, it's a paradoxical picture because in one sense Europe has um passed an enormous stress test um, so far, which is that you know the currency uh, looked as if it was going to break up uh the Greeks were on the verge of leaving more than once. And Europe, every time, mustered the political will to keep the Greeks in, uh, not to set a precedent that you could leave uh, the single currency. Now, um, so that's the kind of good, the the positive political story, that the glue is immensely strong. On the other hand, uh, you look around the continent right now and you see that Hungary and Poland have both elected sort of nationalist, populist uh, governments that are uh, anti-foreigner, anti-EU. The migration pressure um, from... Southeastern Europe, from Syria, uh, from from North Africa, is enormous. And frankly, given Africa's demographics, I don't see that's going to stop. Um, and this election in Spain, the, the the opinion polls suggest that the Marxist left could get 25% of the vote. So that's not enough to form a government, but if the socialists supported them, they could. Um, as, as you know, I mean, so you can go across these different countries, and there is a lot of pressure building of political dissatisfaction, and it could be kind of a delay effect. You know, you have the European yeah. currency crisis that begins uh, in 2010. Uh, for five or six years, the political glue seems very strong, and the centrifugal forces are resisted. But maybe with a lag, you know, voters do then support EU politicians.
0: Great to have you both on the show. Thanks, Sebastian. Great to have you on the phone. Great to be with you. Thank you. John, great to see you again. Thanks very much for coming in. You got it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.